0: Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 247 3051 Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us now as we study. Look into your word, oh God, we pray by the work of your spirit. Teach us, mold us, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Let's see here. Genesis chapter 27, verse 18. Genesis 27, 18. And he came unto his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, "'I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me.' Isaac said unto his son, "'How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son?' He said, "'Because the Lord thy God brought it to me.' Isaac said unto Jacob, "'Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not.' Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. He said, Bring it near to me, and I may eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought wine. He, ate, he drank, and his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and, and kiss me, my son. He came near, kissed him, smelt the smell of his raiment, blessed him, said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, nations bow down to thee, be Lord over thy brethren, let thy mother's sons bow down to thee, cursed be everyone that curseth thee, blessed be he that blesseth thee. All right, now, here we are. We've been in the middle of this great deception of Jacob, who is there. As you remember, he's impersonating Esau to get his father Isaac to bless him with a soul. This is a tense scene. This is a tense chapter, because all throughout this, it's not going that well for Jacob. Let me tell you, Isaac is suspicious from the get-go, and his, he epitomizes his suspicion in verse 22, which is like a proverb when Isaac says, he says, you know, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau, you know. And with those words, Isaac made it very clear he wasn't convinced at all that this was really Esau in front of him. I mean, think how terrorizing this was for Jacob. I mean, he's just said, you know, in, in verse 19, he just said, I'm Esau, thy firstborn. And he's standing there with a bold-faced lie when he says, I am Esau, thy firstborn. And then in verse 21, Isaac's calling him to, well, come over here. Come close so I can feel you. And Jacob's thinking, oh, man, because is much easier to pull off this lie from a distance, you know. <laughs> but I don't like this part because Isaac wants assurance. He wants assurance that this is really Esau. And, and, he, and he feels that, well, you know, if Jacob is really there, he's lying. I mean, he's going to fall apart when he has to get close to me, and I feel him. But verse 22, Jacob pulls it off. He goes near Isaac. Isaac feels him. And, and then he makes this statement in verse 22. He says, you know, it's like Isaac's saying, I don't get it. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And that's the, that's the essence of the deception there. And it's the essence also of the suspicion there. And this is a, there's a mismatch with what Isaac is saying here. This mismatch, things aren't going together. It reminds us of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was a deceiver. John 12, 3 through 6, it says, Mary took a pound of ointment of spicknard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. We talked about this. And, and, the, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And then say, if one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And, and, and he had the bag and bare what was, was put therein. So in that case, the voice was the voice of a person who seemed to care for the poor, but the hands were the hands of a thief because he was the treasure, and he was stealing from the bag he was responsible for. So there, there again, the voice was Jacob's voice, the hands of the hands of Esau. Another case with Judas Iscariot, he used a kiss, a kiss to identify to the Lord's enemies who the Lord was. In Luke 22, 47 through 48, it says, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas... Betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? In that case, the kiss was a kiss of a friend, but the hands were the hands of an enemy, pointing out who, who the Lord was to the Lord's enemies. See, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. It's a statement that the Lord can bring back to our minds whenever we're tempted to not be upfront, not be straightforward. See, that statement, the voice is the voice of Jacob's voice, the hands are the hands of Esau. It shows us. Not only was Isaac suspicious of this here, he might not have Esau in front of him. And so so that's what he's saying. The voice of Jacob's voice, the hands of the hands of Esau, show us clearly that in the back of Isaac's mind was this possibility. This might actually be Jacob in front of him. He wasn't totally convinced. And because we cannot lose sight of the fact that Isaac, in his position right there, was in a stubborn rebellion against God, and he had this plan. He was going to quickly, he was going to forcefully, he was going to secretly pass this Abrahamic blessing on Esau, and he know that and he knew that that was not what God wanted. So, from his own words in verse twenty two, the voice is Jacob's voice with the hands of the hands of Esau. We can hear the crack in Isaac's confidence. As he's saying there, you know, I know now that by seeking to push this blessing on to Esau, that I am in direct rebellion against God. I should be blessing Jacob. And so when Isaac says that in verse 22, that the voice is the, Jacob's voice, the hands are the hands of Esau, Isaac clearly had in his view Jacob and Esau. And Isaac knew he was wrong to be wanting to push this blessing, this Abrahamic blessing onto Esau. He knew that. So what we see is that when Isaac said in verse 22, the voice is, the vo- is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau, we see that that was the time for Isaac. Isaac, you, re- you just said that? That that's, the, that's Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau? Isaac, it's your time to stop and to say, what am I doing? I've been absolutely wrong in in pushing this blessing on to Esau. I need to be passing this blessing on to Jacob, and not on Esau. I'm going to turn around right now. I'm going to repent. I'm going to stop this rebellion against God. See, that's what verse 22 is saying here. So in Isaac, he's at his closest point when he says this in verse 22, to call it all off, call off this stubborn rebellion against God. But he didn't. And that's what God does for us. God, God was watching over that whole situation. And God wanted Isaac to follow his direction. And he gave his direction to, through Rebekah that he was to bless Jacob and not Esau. God put that suspicion in Isaac's heart of the, I don't get it. The voice is the voice of Jacob's, but the hands, the hands of Esau. And the purpose was to bring Isaac to his senses. So he'd go back, go look for Jacob and bless him instead of Esau, and that's what God does for us. When we're on a road to sin against God, God is faithful to put roadblocks in our way, like big flashing red lights that have a purpose so it's God saying, repent, turn around, it's 100% your decision, I'm not gonna do it for you, it's up to you. But as we see here with Isaac, we can be like Isaac. Oh, We can be just like Isaac, we can just say, full steam ahead. You know, metal to the pedal. How does it go? Pedal to the metal. <laughs> now, we can just say we're going forward in our stubborn rebellion against God. Ignore ignore all of God's flashing lights. We don't care like Isaac did. But Isaac is still filled with the suspicion. And so Isaac has another requirement beyond the first requirement. I mean, the last thing he wants to do is to bless Jacob instead of Esau. That would be horrible in his mind. So he says, okay, come near. I'll feel you whether you're my son. okay. Verse 24, he asked him again in verse 24. Isaac thinking, I gotta find out if this is Jacob or Esau. Now, he told me it was Esau, but I didn't believe it. Okay, so come near, let me feel him. So surely if he's, he's gonna crack under the pressure of being felt in the lie, but all right, I'll find out. But he passed as Esau. Okay, I got another test in, in verse 24. Give me a verbal, clear confirmation. I know you told me once, tell me again are you really Esau? And two words, verse 24, he said, I am. Hmm? Then came, okay, now I got another confirmation. I, I want to, and we considered this last time in verse 26. And this one is, this time you come near and kiss me. You come near and kiss me. Hmm. It's amazing just to see Jacob so completely give himself over to this lie. I mean, all that Jacob's doing here is telling God, he's just, he's just like, Jacob might as well be shouting to God, you got a lot of work to do in me. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to burn out in me of a lying spirit. And God's taking notes up there saying, okay, I got it under control. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. He we'll, we'll, says, uh, you know, I can see you down there doing all this lying. We'll get that out of you. He said, well, just, you, you don't know it right now, but your, your course in your life is you're going to be lied to by an uncle, an Uncle Laban, who's going to be painful for you to even say those words, Uncle Laban. <laughs> He's going to do a switcheroo on you. You're going to get the wrong woman as a wife through a lie. And then he says, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring you through. He says, he says, I'll have your daughter Dinah raped. And I'll bring you through, and you're going to have to deal with the death of the only wife that you did love, Rachel, through a very difficult birth of your son, Benjamin. And I'll bring you through because I'll show you what lying can do. I'll show you a couple of your sons, Levi and Simeon, who lied to all these men. And in that lie did a merciless, cruel murder of all the men. And I'll have you deal with some lying here. When your firstborn son, Reuben commits adultery with your wife, and I'll have, I'll have some more lying here to see how, what it feels like when your own sons lie to you about the supposed tragic death of your favorite son, Joseph, by a wild beast. And then your other son, Judah, see how you like it when you have all these children with prostitutes. Apart from that, Jacob's family was fairly boring, <laughs> you know, uneventful. Now, everything's in place here, and when Isaac smells the clothes... Isaac thinks of the field, and he's really a prophet. Now, you know, there's a lot of complications going on here. It's a lot of mishigas in this this chapter. But one of the things we do want to see was forget about everything, and really, Isaac is a prophet. He is a prophet. He's a prophet of God here. And so we saw that the first thing Isaac does in his blessing of Jacob was that he prays that God would give him the dew of heaven. And we considered the miraculousness of tall, the miraculousness of the dew of heaven. We saw all of that last time. So now it's sustaining. We saw that the dew was for the plants, the life sustainment. And then we saw how God said in Hosea fifteen five, I will be as the dew unto Israel. And we understood what God meant when he called himself the dew to Israel, how God brought life to Israel. And when they see that, Jehovah is Jesus. That will mean for Israel what he says, God says in Romans eleven fifteen. if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of the Jewish people be but life from the dead? See, that's what the dew is to the dew beetle and to plants. It's life. Sometimes they're all parched out. You know, it becomes life from the dead. God says, I'll be the dew to Israel. I'll bring back life from the dead, hmm? Now, God also says in the Bible that he calls the remnant of Jacob, or the Jewish remnant, he calls them the dew. Micah 5, 7, he says, The remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord. As the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. See, God says the remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many people as a dew. What's he talking about? He's talking about that. That means that God's going to use, we think, for example, the 144,000, he's going to use the Jewish remnant to bring the gospel of life to many Gentile people. And we saw in verse 28 how dew is a gift from God. But dew's not the only gift from God, because what's the next gift from God that Isaac prays for God to give in verse 28? Tim, what is it? After the dew of heaven. That's it. That's it. The fatness of the earth. The fatness of the earth. Okay. So here we see the connection between the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. They're both gifts from God. God gives you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. They're connected to each other. Then Moses described the land of Israel that God was going to give to Israel with very special terms. In Deuteronomy 11, 11 through 12, it says, but the land whither you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh the water of the rain of heaven. Now, here's what he says. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. He calls the land of Israel a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. See, for how long? From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, the eyes of the Lord are on this land. And he calls this land a land that just drinks the water, the rain of heaven. He says it's a special land because he has a particular care for it, and the eyes of the Lord are always on it. So that's how the land of Israel is described. And, And King David, when he describes the earth, And what happens to the earth, he describes it as in verbs. And I'm going to read this to you and think about causation in Psalm 104, 13 through 14. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of men that he might bring forth food out of the earth. There's just a lot of verbs in there. And and they talk about causation. God waters the earth from his chambers. It's God who's watering the earth. The earth contains the fruit of God's works. So in other words, you, you get a picture here like the earth is looking over itself and it says, oh, I'm so satisfied. I'm satisfied with the works of God. And grass doesn't just grow for the cattle. It says God causes the grass. To grow for the cattle. And food just doesn't come out of the earth. It says God brings forth food from the earth. And in another place, when David was describing what God is doing for the earth here in in Psalm 65, 9 through 13, David says it this way. And again, follow the verbs Thou visitest the earth and waterest it, thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. I just said that last night, it was nice, wasn't it? <laughs> thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pasture of the wilderness. The little ones rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. See, God didn't just make the earth and say, okay, well, now you're on your own. I'll go away. No, when he said he he planted a garden in Eden, well, the earth is like a big garden as well. And God continually visits the earth. And he sees when it needs water, and he goes there and waters it. You know, that's a picture of a gardener. That's what a gardener does. The gardener just says, well, I put the seed there, you know, you're on your... No, the gardener is constantly, regularly visiting his garden. And, you know, I remember when Takendori Ari built our Japanese garden, and, and the biggest joke was he said, it's low maintenance. <laughs> it's not low maintenance. Not the way he wanted it kept. I mean, you go out there and you visit it every day, but that, so what? You're a gardener, you love your garden. You go visit your garden every day, that's nothing. And you see, oh, some water is needed here, and you water that. And you go regularly visit the garden. See, that's what God says about the earth. He He visiteth the earth like a garden. Water does, doesn't does come to the earth. God makes the earth rich with the river, which is called the river of God, which He says it's full of water. And corn doesn't just grow. Corn is described as prepared and provided by God. Years are not just, well, that was a good year of harvest. No, years are described as crowned with the goodness of God. And pastors are not just described, well, they got flocks on them. No, pastors are described as naked without the flocks. And God says, I clothe them with the flocks. I'll put clothes on that pasture out there, the flocks. And valleys aren't described as having corn on them they're described as God covering them with corn. And and the Hebrew word ataf is used there when it says he covers with corn. It means overwhelmed, overwhelmed. So God overwhelms the valleys with corn. Those valleys, they're described as, they're so happy to be overwhelmed with corn that they're described as shouting for joy. You think I'm shouting this morning? The valleys shout louder. (laughs) And singing, singing. And that's how the Bible describes the earth. And that's how the Bible describes dew and rain and crops and flocks and valleys, works of God, gifts of God, dropping down, with dripping with the fatness. That's the care of God. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ described the sun and the rain. See? In Matthew 5.45, when he says that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, he said, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. See, that's how he describes the sun. The Lord Jesus says, God makes the sun to rise. And he describes the rain. He says, the Lord Jesus says, God sends the rain. See, the seasons, fruitfulness of the earth, they're all about God making and sending and providing and caring and visiting. And all of this is described as a witness. It's a witness to all people. You know, there's a people that are very close to where we are in Ethiopia. There's a lake there called Zuwai, about a half hour away from where we are. And there's three islands there. There's people there called the Zai people. And they've been recently identified as one of the unreached people that have never had the gospel presented to them. They're kind of isolated there on those islands. I don't know what they're doing there. I know there's a hippopotamus in the island, but anyway, I didn't know about them. But you can read about them online where you read about everything. Anyway. So how do those people know anything about God if they've never had the gospel? Acts 14, 17 says, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. See, that's a witness of God. He's doing good to man. The seasons, the fruitfulness of the earth are all about God making and sending and doing good. And this is what Isaac was saying in his blessing when he said in verse 28, Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth plenty of corn and wine. And when Isaac gave this blessing about God giving the dew and the fatness of the earth, Isaac had experienced this in his own life. Because we remember back in Genesis 26, 12, it said Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. We remember how it was emphasized, he received matzah. He received a hundredfold. In other words, God gave him a hundredfold, and Isaac, he just took the gift. And so when he was praying that God would give the fatness of the earth, in verse 28, he knew what he was talking about because he had been there. And when we saw how rain and dew are gifts from God that are sent to earth with a purpose to make food come out of the earth. See, there's that interplay between the dew and the fatness of the earth. You need one for the other to come out. Then we understand why the word of God is described as dew in the rain. My speech will distill as dew in Deuteronomy. Because it's with a purpose, and that's how the word of God is described in Isaiah 55.10. That's why it's described that way. For the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, that shall not return unto me void. Well it shall accomplish that which I please, it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. We know that rain and snow returns back up, but it doesn't return until it's accomplished its purpose, to make the fatness of the earth come out with food. God says, My word will return, but it won't return without accomplishing my purpose. I've sent it. That's why the word of God is pictured as rain, both being sent by God for a purpose. And just as the rain doesn't return without accomplishing its purpose, the word of God doesn't either. That's why it's important for us. Remember the importance of declaring the word of God because when we do, God is sending his word for a purpose and he tells us, I guarantee you that my word will be successful in accomplishing my purpose. But just as there is a connection between the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, in that the dew causes the earth to bring forth its fatness in the form of corn and wine, there's a connection between the Word of God and the Spirit of God.
0: Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org, that's God. Friendshipwithgod org, or go to iTunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. This Thursday at 6.30 p.m., we'll study aliens, UFOs, and what the Bible says about them and answer the question, are we alone? And what does God's Word say about close encounters of the fourth kind? Join us at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Call us 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or creationSD.org, creationSD.org.